Ah, uh, God, I must sound so entitled right now. I must have my touch technology. Podcast Welcome to ALH. Today will be sort of a hodgepodge of things that we didn't get to last time. Do we want to do some follow-up? Um, sure. During our previous episode when we were talking to Kushal, the uh, chief technology officer at Scroll, I, I forgot to ask him about like um so one of the big advantages to like using ad blockers is it makes the web a lot faster and i i wanted to know if like you got the same sort of performance increases uh when you're using scroll and had they been measured and the answer to that is yes you get very significant performance improvements when you are using scroll on the web but no, they haven't been like officially measured. And I guess part of that is that uh, when you're doing like benchmarking of loading of sites, there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. And the best way of doing it isn't necessarily obvious. Uh, this is because like you don't have like one uniform set of hardware and like one kind of user and everything. You have a whole bunch of different things. So you end up with the distribution and what exactly is the number that you want to report there, et cetera. But the, the long and the short of it is, yes, much faster. I mean, it seems kind of obvious. I mean, after all, since uh, a lot of these complaints were that ads were bogging down the web, yeah, that a lot of these pages load slowly specifically because they have libraries that need to be loaded before being able to even render the page. And uh, from what Kushal was saying before, is that uh, they're pretty much just using a bunch of if tags where all of these includes don't load. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. Like, uh, I wasn't completely clear that they would necessarily not load things, but uh, they could just not display things. And so that's, that's sort of what I was getting at with that. Does it actually not load or does it just not display? And I, I guess the answer is it also doesn't load because it's much faster. So I guess this is kind of follow-up because it's relating to our product over time. Anki is going out of business. It's so sad. So Anki made the vector and those little, the Anki drive thing with the little robot cars, uh, stuff like that. And I don't know what's going to happen with like their developer stuff. So I don't know. It's they're, they're, I'm still getting like weekly updates for their developer forums, so they're still up. I'd love to see a big open source following with us. Like I hope they actually put out as much as possible. Yeah, it'd be nice if they can re- release like the code that the robot runs and how to update it and stuff like that. Um, and then it's possible that they've released some of the stuff already, but before they completely go under the the problem is it's possible that they might end up like selling their assets including the ip to someone else in which case it could be hidden away forever yeah that'd be unfortunate so uh the company that makes your autoscope is that uh safe and sound i'm i have no idea i'm sure it's some sort of <laughs> random chinese knockoff company <laughs> but uh it's probably safe or if they're not, I'm sure someone has copied basically the exact same thing at this point. 
but with the poor vector, like that's some that was some pretty unique stuff that they did with the, with that. I feel like sometimes companies are a little too unique and a little bit too ahead of the curve. It they, they it seems like they spent probably more money than they could possibly have recouped building that robot. I mean, the market is not that big for that kind of thing, and it seems like the kind of it seems like something that would be very funding intensive. Um, have you ever heard of the uh, Here Ones? No. So uh, it came from a company called Doppler Labs. This is starting to sound a little more familiar now. Yeah, so they ended up making pretty much earbuds where you would put them in your ears and there was an app that would control them. And uh, you can have it where it would do basic noise canceling. But then it would also do things like, say, for instance, if you wanted to hear the noise that was straight ahead of you, um, it would do signal processing to try and block out surrounding ambient noise that's behind you or to the side. Was this a Kickstarter? Uh, I believe it was a Kickstarter. Okay. Okay. I'm. This is starting to come back to me, I think. Yeah. I had ordered them back in 2017 when, uh, when I first went to Coachella. I ended up uh, ordering them for the purpose of having something that would be kind of a little more active, mm-hmm. um, you know, active noise canceling with things like concerts. And... They were the type of product where they were almost there. Like I liked I liked using them and I found them really useful. It's just the battery life wasn't very good. It would end up sucking up a whole lot of battery life on the phone as well. I was curious to see where they were going. It felt kind of like, you know how um the first iPhone, the first Apple Watch, that sort of thing, a Gen 1 product is promising but not quite there Mm -hmm. well that's how i felt about those um you know those earbuds and then the company ended up going out of business so Mm. where this is even coming into play is i felt that way about anki that uh with the vector that a generation two or generation three vector would end up being way better than the first generation one and uh, I was really hoping to see where this would all go. And I guess the answer is nowhere. I actually am kind of reminded with the uh, vector of, of of being slightly overly ambitious to um, to Panic's Playdate thing. Oh, boy. Um, so Panic is the publisher... That uh, of the publisher of Firewatch and the developer of Coda and other fun Mac tools that we use, and they have decided to announce a tiny little Game Boy-like thing with a crank that is bright yellow, and it's sort of utterly ridiculous. Um, it just sort of came out of nowhere, and it, I guess I guess maybe they won't have the same problem as the vector of being overly ambitious because I guess they're already pre-ordered that a gazillion of them have been pre-ordered for some reason. I guess people really want the playful feeling of their youth or something, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. They didn't even, they, they even wrote the OS for it. It's not like Linux based. Oh, really? Yeah. Siri. Wow. It's, it's completely nuts. What? I didn't even know this is available for pre-order. I saw on there that there's the uh, notify me. But, uh, um, well, they said that they had like 70,000 pre-orders or something. Maybe that's the notify me. 
maybe. I don't know. I mean, I see this kind of as the opposite in a lot of respects. Do you see it as you see it as overly ambitious or super ambitious? Well, I mean, the the whole writing your OS to drive the hardware thing seems overly ambitious to me. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. I, I remember when you link this to me, like I, I saw this and it's like, oh, you go to the page and it starts with, it's yellow. And I go, okay, it fits in your pocket. Okay. It's got a beautiful black and white screen. And I just went, F you. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, yeah. The, the story like showed up on Slashdot and the comments were not kind to it. They're like, but I can spend $30 for like a random Chinese console that's full color and way more powerful. <laughs> I, I think they're sort of missing the point, but um, I, I can kind of see where they're coming out with that too. But I mean, it is, it is a little bit of the slash dot crowd saying, why do I, why should I buy an iPod when I can buy a nomad? It's, you know, yes, that's similar. But then part of the problem I have with this is that, I look at the graphics and the graphics don't look much better than something I would see on a Game Boy, mm-hmm. at least from, you know, at least from the preview that they show there with the crank. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a little better, but it's not super, you know, it's not super, super good. It's it's basically it's a retro. It's a total retro console. Yes, it is. And and part of the thing is they're planning on having the. Season one, which comes with the device, has 12 games that are released once a week so they can surprise you. Um, and I, that's kind of cute, but still, it's, I mean, and, and at least they're all, I guess, unique games, which if you're buying the yeah. random $30 thing, that they, they would probably be basically ripped off of somewhere, most likely. Yes, it would be, uh, it would be games that you recognize, but it would be uh, dubious. Yeah, and I, I guess they have like some pretty big developers making some of these games. I remember something about like the Katamari team. Yeah, that they listed the names, and I didn't recognize the names, but I recognized the games that were associated with the names. Yeah, I don't know. I look at the playdate, and it just makes me think this is what Nintendo needed to do. Nintendo should have made something like this, but without a crank, and have old school Game Boy games. Game is Boy it, games, Game Boy Advance games, etc. On isn't, this, isn't that basically the DS or three or three DS? Yeah, but they're the three DS is big. The three DS and the DS are big. Where this this form factor is quite nice. That's that's the one thing I'll give the Playdate is the form factor looks very nice. Apart and from the crank, the crank is like ugh. I, I I think the crank is the only interesting part about it, though. Well, aside from I mean, it's a cute design, like physically, yeah. but like interactively the crank is the interesting part what i feel like with the playdate is uh you know how we were talking about things like uh you know apple's keynote with say apple tv plus mm-hmm. that uh part of selling apple tv plus is you know talking about the tv shows that are going to be on it where with this they're showing the hardware but you see next to nothing about the games that are actually going to be on this thing right and part of that is they want it to be a surprise right yeah and that's you know that's fair but part of being convinced to actually get this i think uh 
I think it comes to any sort of console that uh, I'm not going to buy a console unless I see a game that I want to play on it. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good or awesome the console is if the games are like, eh. But what they're doing is that they're they're saying that they're not saying that the games are good. They're saying that people who have made good games are making things are making games for this. But yeah, black screen, black and white screen. <laughs> so that's actually fewer colors than the Game Boy. So the Game Boy had four. This has two. I don't know. I mean, it looks. Uh, if you look there, it on the screen, it looks like. No, there. If I, I'm pretty sure that it is just on or off for the pixels. Oh, mother of God! Really? Fewer colors than the Game Boy because the Game Boy had shades of green. The higher resolution than the Game Boy, though. Uh, did it say what the resolution is? So the the Playdate resolution is a resolution of uh, 400 by 240, which is not high, but higher than the Game Boy. So nice of them to make a screen that's higher resolution than a device from the 1980s. <laughs> uh-huh. So the, the original Game Boy uh, looks like the resolution was 160 by 144. Mm, my eyes hurt just thinking of that. <laughs> I spent so much time playing Tetris on the original Game Boy. I'm really conflicted with the Playdate because I look at the hardware and I go, eh. But then on the other hand, it's panic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you take Coda and... Coda and Transmit and all the other application software they've done. Firewatch is quite good. True, though they were the publisher for that, not the developer. So the developer was Campo Santo, and then they published it. But they did have a lot of interaction with them, so who knows? But they're not making... They're not the ones making games for this. I guess we can trust their curation ability then. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, it looks interesting. I just don't know if I don't know if I feel like spending one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, one hundred and fifty seems high. That's like Apple tax territory. They are an Apple developer. But then again, you (laughs) are getting the games with it. So it's not it's not one hundred and fifty for just the device. It's one hundred and fifty for the season. Yeah. And they are unique games, unlike my son's little handheld 40 game device that uh cost like fifteen dollars mm-hmm. where 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 they're just sort of trash games so do you think you'll order this <sighs> I don't know something tells me I'll end up ordering it somehow since stock will be very limited, you can always resell it after oh yeah, it's a, a collector's item. The other thing is I have giant hands, and so it's actually not <laughs> a good form factor for me. So you're waiting for the Playdate XL. There we go. Like if if I if I try and use like the Switch by itself in the mobile mode, I can only do it for like a half an hour um, before my hands start to cramp up and I, my pinkies start getting numb. I kind of wish this was something that would cast to a TV. Maybe it will. I think it has wireless communications, so. I'm looking at this and you're saying that uh, they wrote the whole OS for this. What I'm wondering here is why? Why do such a thing? My guess is the developer, some developer that has a lot of pull 
in panic or whatever thought this would be just like a super fun thing to work on and so they made the design they commissioned like a prototype or two and this is and then they're like hey maybe we should go and start a kickstarter to make this thing it seems really fun and that's that's almost certainly it like some random developer was like I think it would be super, super cool to write my own OS. I think it would be super cool to design my own hardware. I think it would be a lot of fun. And then later they decided, maybe we can sell it. <laughs> That's my guess. My, my guess is it was someone's toy project that sort of grew. Let's see. Panic is also publishing Untitled Goose Game, which looks really crazy. In Untitled Goose Game, you're... You're a goose that basically goes and wreaks havoc on people, ruining their day. Like a real goose, really. <laughs> this looks like my type of game. Yeah, it's, that's what I kind of figured. Yeah, I, I've seen this. I entirely, I entirely forgot about it. I, I love that it says coming in early 2019. <laughs> uh, deadlines. Yes. <laughs> Oh, what I didn't notice is if you go to goose.game, you can drag the objects around. That's one thing about anything Panic-affiliated. They add so many nice little touches to their website. Mm -hmm. Google is merging Nest with um, basically Google. It's home home line of products. With it is going to be a lot of like pretty significant annoyance to me do you know why that might be i was thinking privacy related stuff well the thing is well privacy related stuff is the rationale for them right they're trying to close things down so you're less likely to leak information stuff like that Uh, and they're doing this essentially by limiting the ways that you can interact with the nest devices like the the cameras and the thermostat and everything and for me personally, this is going to be a giant pain because there might no longer be a way that I can easily adjust my thermostat from my menu bar hmm. on my Mac. Because right now I use uh, an app called Thessa. I assume that's how it's pronounced. Uh, and it sits in my little notification tray that is that you can bring out by clicking in the upper right hand corner on the menu bar on the Mac. And so it's a little widget and uh, I can adjust my temperature up and down and it's great. And I'll be very, very sad once uh, that my Nest no longer supports that. Did Nest ever get HomeKit support? My understanding is that HomeKit support is going to become easier due to it not needing a hardware component. So it's entirely possible that if Nest gets HomeKit support, then you would be able to... um, you know, integrate it within the API directly, like the OS API. So, I mean, it would still be possible to have those kind of controls. Well, um, assuming they support it, yeah. But it sounds to me like they're going to just integrate with all the home stuff and that's it. So it'll be a lot more more limited. And at the very best, the Thesa people are going to have to update their app if they're even still working on it. And I'll have to update it. Next best would be that someone else makes a Google Assistant 
interaction application. Next best would be that I write something that does it, <laughs> but it, it's it's going to be annoying. And, and like with this, they're completely removing IFTTT support. Oh, that's that's crappy. If this, then that, which is extremely popular interactions kind of thing for uh, IoT devices. Anything that supports that can sort of be chained together, very similar to how uh, Workflow worked on the iOS and now Shortcuts, sort of very similar to that, except that they supported gazillions of things. Uh, and it was really convenient to string them all together there. So you actually used If This Then That with your Nest? Um, I used it with other things, but... If someday Thesa stopped working, I could still uh, I would still be able to use that, but no, not that either. Since we're getting the house wired for the Tesla and we're getting a 200 amp panel, etc. One thing we're talking about with the landlords here is getting central air conditioning. So we've been getting quotes for uh, you know for air conditioner units, having it installed, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about here is that if we get an air conditioner unit and heater put in that we would end up getting some kind of smart thermostat. Right. And I mean, I'm thinking along the lines of since I have a lot of devices that use HomeKit, I was thinking of going the HomeKit route Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, rather than getting the Nest. Do you have any specific reasons on why you ended up going for the Nest rather than, you know, anything that does HomeKit? Well, originally, the Nest was kind of like the only real game in town when I first bought it. At the time, HomeKit was not that great, and it wasn't clear that I would be able to even have an app on my menu bar. And I knew that like, I could, with the Nest, just have an app that was for it that I could use on my Mac that I could control my thermostat from, not just using my phone. And later... When I put in a new heating system and air conditioning system in my house, the installer had a smart thermostat option that I could get with it, but I wanted to use the Nest instead, specifically because it had an API that I could use to have an app with on my computers, whereas the um, one that they wanted to sell with it, while it was better for controlling the device that I had, my heater can have like five different fan speeds. The Nest only supports up to two. But I was willing to deal with that because I wanted the flexibility of controlling it however I wanted to control it, not just via a single phone app. This this makes it even more annoying. So when you're doing your install uh, and you want something that's compatible with HomeKit, you, you probably want to see how that thermostat is with like different fan speeds and what other features the HVAC thing that you're installing has. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the go-to thing I was thinking of was the Echo B4, mm-hmm. but I mean, since it has HomeKit support, but uh, yeah, I'd have to actually see what kind of units getting put in and what kind of support there is for it. And I think that like via the default wiring, it's pretty much even impossible to, all the fan speeds with anything other than their own stupid thermostat, which is sort of irritating. That seems to be the way it is with the uh, the HVAC manufacturers, is they like, have like their own special protocol for their own smart thermostats, 
and then their own smart thermostats are hideously expensive and kind of suck uh, w- with everything other than being able to take better advantage of all the heater cool uh, air conditioners features. I guess so. If anything, before we agree to the quote, I should actually ask the guy what uh, what brand of HVAC this is going to be. Yes. You, you want to research that. You want the brand. You want like what sorts you, you need to figure out what thermostats is compatible with it, what sort of special protocols it might have. If they have one that's a thermostat that's directly paired with it, uh, are there extra features that it has to care about these extra features, etc. One of the major things for being able to evenly heat your home is like the adjustable fan speed. And my, my house is completely unevenly heated because we have one unit for both upstairs and downstairs and it pumps the air everywhere and then upstairs gets way hotter than downstairs. So what I was thinking of doing is getting some uh, internet connected vents and having them open and close based off of the temperatures in each room. Now, you're supposed to not do that because the additional pressure from the closed vents could be damaging to the heating system. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I figure if you have it on the lower fan setting, you're not going to run into that problem even, even with the vents closed in some of the rooms. There's a couple of different options. There's like keen vents and flare vents. And I was reading that the keen vents have a whistle and I don't know if the flare vents do and I'm hoping they don't, but I was thinking of getting some. So circling back to Nest, if this ends up being a worst case scenario where your app doesn't get updated and you can't control anything via the computer, uh, would you consider moving away to another smart thermostat? Yes and no. I mean, I have other Google Home products. Like I have the... I have the Nest Hello doorbell, and then I have a Google Home Hub, and it's it's nice that they all sort of work together. So I don't know if I'd replace it or not. I assume that there still will be Echo support for the Nest. At least I really hope so. A lot of people will be angry if it doesn't, so maybe there's something that I can work out. It's funny just how ubiquitous Echo support is. Yeah, well, part of it is it's really easy to do. But also, Amazon was ahead of the curve when it came to smart speakers. Yeah, it's funny. Like, my Echoes get used for my smart device, enabling and disabling my smart devices, and then my my Google Homes get used for everything else, like timers and whatnot. Yeah, I don't even have an Echo anymore. The, uh, the HomePods are basically, they're good enough. They integrate with everything I needed them to integrate with. Uh, they're better sound than the Echo. And then also the concerns of privacy, you know, when it comes to data retention and all that kind of stuff. I mean, although I suppose if I were talking about uh, having a specific type of disease and it ends up going to Amazon and then they end up putting the ad on Amazon and they end <laughs> up having something that ends up that ends up curing my disease, I suppose that's a net positive. <laughs> Dingus, cure my cancer. <laughs> Sorry, Kushal. <laughs> Looks like there's a rumor that 3D Touch is going bye-bye. You'll have to sort of press and hold or whatever because it's being replaced with haptic touch like on 
the the X what? Um, the the 10R. Oh, right. They don't like saying X, huh? <laughs> I always laugh when people call it XS. I run into people at the Apple store who actually call it an XS and an XR. Nice. Like people who work there. It's really hard not to do. Their branding is so terrible. Like, can't they call it something that has an obvious pronunciation? Clearly not. What do you think the odds are that this will happen? I think it's pretty high. Because they get some gains in thinness, which they always love. And they have gains in cost. And not a people, not a lot of people really even know how to use it. And I've seen people mess up trying to figure it out. Like, I've seen multiple people not realize how to turn on their flashlight on their phone because you're supposed to do the 3d touch until you until it goes down far enough that you go thunk and the light turns on me personally i i I really like the way that it looks and feels for that flashlight it feels like a switch i guess a lot of people get confused by it what i feel like here is that this is something that they should keep however what they need to do is they need to come up with usability guidelines for using um for using 3D touch. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be used for something that is a main feature. Think of it kind of like right-click. On a Mac, for the most part, you don't need to right-click on things in order to get work done, in mm-hmm. order to do stuff. I mean, it's optional, and I mean, for a power user, it's very, very convenient. However, for people who don't really know about that and just do, you know, use a mouse, assuming that it's one kind of click, mm-hmm. you know, that there's one button... It's perfect. You know, it's fine. They have a longer roundabout way of doing things. But I think that uh, having this on the phone is useful for power users. And if they actually expose controls that are more useful for power users, that's good. And also, I think that uh, it's kind of a failure on Apple's part that they haven't properly specified the guidelines they haven't updated all of their apps to use this necessarily mm-hmm. the right way. And if they did this, that uh, it would, I think that it would actually justify itself better. It's very similar to the touch bar on the laptops. <sighs> I would not be sad if it went away. But that's in part because of what it brings to the table. It's been three years and they haven't really done much with the touch bar since it's come out. If they had actually done things to incrementally improve what's available on the touch bar and expose more functionality and pretty much treat it like, a, I guess, a first-class citizen when it comes to hardware, then I think the things would be different. Of course, if there were a series of F keys either over or under the touch bar, yes, th- this would be entirely different and your complaints would be... Uh, your complaints would be next to null, I think. If it weren't replacing the F keys, it would be augmenting it instead of replacing. If it weren't replacing something, I feel like your opinion on this would be similar to 3D Touch, where it's like, it's there and it's not hurting anything, why take it away? Yeah, probably. I really hope they don't get rid of 3D Touch. I think, I really hope they uh, actually try and commit to it and come up with more interesting uses of it that would be nice. I don't think it's happening. I mean, given given how nobody seemed to care when the tenor uh, <laughs> started using it and people all thought it was fine. 
I, I'm pretty sure it's going away. Part of it is as well is that the people who are buying the 10R, they're uh, you know, they're people who don't really care about detail as much. Like, I mean, say for instance with the uh, the 10R, there is uh, the 326 PPI screen. It's a worse screen. It's an LCD screen. It uh, doesn't have 3D touch, but. If you care about it, you know, if you care about these things, if you care about having a nicer display and having additional functionality and having more of a power phone, then why not have that option available? I mean, after all, uh, I guess one way to look at it is that for the longest time before the Magic Mouse existed, there were one-button mouses from Apple. I think the default, wasn't it the Puck? Wasn't the Puck one button? Yes, yeah, so I mean, they had the one-button puck mouse, which most people ended up using when they ended up getting that original iMac. However, you could get a two-button mouse and end up having additional functionality exposed. Yes, yeah. But I mean, this would require them including additional hardware, so... How expensive is it, realistically? I think it's less the expense and more the thickness that it adds. Um, because you have to have the strain gauges in the corners. And... Well, depending on what the iPhone 11 offers, I may actually consider not getting it if they end up taking this out. Oh, you just skip a year? I'm doing that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on the um, iPhone payment plan. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I usually just trade in my phone anyway. Mm-hmm. I feel now like uh, all those people who ended up not getting an iPhone 7 because of the headphone jack. <laughs> I mean, I got an iPhone 7 and I didn't really care because I never used I never used the 3.5 jack anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't really matter to me. And I ended up getting wireless headphones. So, I mean, I, uh, I went the rich man route uh-huh. and just bought new stuff that would work well with it. And I had no complaints. But this, I feel like it's actually taking something away. But it'll happen anyway and we'll all be sad. Thank you for listening to ALH. You can visit us at ALH.FM. You can follow us on Twitter at AliensLand here. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Later. I was very excited that I finally had a tweet that was very popular. Uh, Yeah, I I assume you know which one that was. Ah, the engineering tweet. Basically, I said... uh, I want to see a more realistic Star Trek, but in just one way. When the captain asks the engineer for an estimate for how long to fix the warp drive, the engineer says, five hours. The captain says, you have two. Three weeks and half the ship's antimatter later, the drive is fixed. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw my retweet for it. I had uh, quoted Star Trek 2. Oh. <laughs> like if you, if, you go by, uh, if you go by the book, hours seem like days. Ah, yes. But yeah, and I I got a couple of interesting replies to that. Basically, one person said that uh, they would totally want to see that. They're very irritated by Star Trek perpetuating the myth that all you need to do is have like tighter deadlines on engineers and they'll they'll magically rise to the occasion and not uh, and actually get things done faster. And uh I guess that's sort of Elon's strategy, but it doesn't work for him either. <laughs> right. No kidding.
You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see more episodes where there's a problem, like say, for instance, the warp drive is down, but uh, in the process of trying to fix it, you know, they're given the two hours of the five hour deadline or whatnot. Uh, there ends up being some kind of extra problem and then an extra problem on top of that. Because, I mean, that's pretty much engineering in a nutshell. When we went to go look at it, uh, turns out that this piece was actually incompatible with this other piece there. And so we had to go and build a bridge. And our bridge works normally, but in this particular edge case, it doesn't. And we're not exactly sure why. We think that should be impossible, but clearly it's happening. We're just going to try restarting it. <laughs> I'm seeing, wow, I just, uh, I see this weird crossover between the IT crowd and Star Trek. <laughs> oh, the warp core is not working. Did you restart it? No. <laughs> Go ahead and restart it. Go ahead and restart it. I'll wait. Oh, the warp core works now. Okay, off you go. <laughs> the thi- I think a lot of the problems with um, TV shows nowadays is that I think people don't give them the same chance as uh, shows back in the 80s. Like, think of, uh, think of Star Trek The Next Generation. Realistically, Star Trek The Next Generation was pretty bad until at least the third season. But, you know, there were a handful of good episodes in seasons one and two, but, you know, looking at it, it's nothing that really said, yeah, let's save this show. You yeah. know, let's see where this goes. But the fact that uh, there was a decent amount of popularity with Star Trek and that studios were more likely to give a show time in order to see where it goes meant that Star Trek The Next Generation had that opportunity to, uh, you know, to actually blossom and become, you know, a really good show. Yep. Meanwhile... Firefly is fantastic on its first season and dies anyway. And Dollhouse dies after two seasons. Well, Dollhouse wasn't as good. It was still good. It got it got a lot better. Um, the the first few episodes were not very good. Um, and then it got better, particularly the season finales. The thing with Dollhouse is that it was setting the table within the first few episodes. You know, when you first watch Dollhouse, you think that, uh, oh, this is potentially going to be some kind of episodic TV where she's in a different body playing a different role each episode. Mm -hmm. And then it completely changes. And then there's, uh, you know, there's all the stuff that pretty much happens, which I don't want to spill because of spoilers. Fun, canceled Whedon shows. I wonder if he's going to do another television show. I guess he's kind of doing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's more executive producing that. Does that count? I don't know. Like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is another one where, like, the first season was not good, but it's it got a lot better in later seasons. I feel like part of the issue with uh, people not giving shows a chance is that I find that uh, I'm the same way where I don't give shows enough of a chance. Mm-hmm. Like, I heard bad things about Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, um, like, season one and season two weren't that great. And I'm thinking, why am I going to give time to this? Even though it ends up getting better, (laughs) why should I, you know, why should I spend time watching something that I don't like that much in hopes that it will eventually get good? I I think probably halfway through, through season two is probably a good place, I think, to start. But is it one of those shows where you can actually just tune in halfway through season two and know what's going on? You'll be able to figure it out. 
I am seeing something here about Game of Thrones season eight. So I guess go ahead and play that spoiler tag. Spoiler ahead. Okay. <laughs> it always makes me laugh whenever I hear that. Yeah, Game of Thrones season eight. It was fantastic, wasn't it? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Oh God! The uh, that last the last episode of Game of Thrones. At that point, we were completely over it and uh, just decided to hate watch it. We had there were six of us over at our house, and uh, two of our friends had never watched Game of Thrones, but they decided just oh jeez, just to watch the last episode. I, I think they wanted to watch us get enraged over just how bad the last episode would be. Well, I mean, after the second to last episode, I was thinking, there isn't a lot they can do to save this anymore. Oh. <laughs> so there's a um, there's a subreddit called Free Folk, which um, I started following, you know, around the time, I would say after the period of time, after season eight, episode three, after the whole Night King thing only lasted one episode. Yeah, there was just there was so, so much salt on free folk. (laughs) And I had I had found actually uh, somebody had posted an image, which was somebody posting spoilers for the season, which whenever you see spoilers of like what's going to happen for a season, you never know for sure Mm -hmm. if it's just somebody, you know, if it's just somebody doing conjecture or if it's actual, you know, a bona fide leak. Mm-hmm. And I had seen this and it had said pretty much everything that ended up happening, that Bran would end up becoming king and John would end up going north of the wall again. And pretty much all of the secrets, uh, you know, all of the stuff that was supposed to happen. And I'm reading this going, oh, my God, this is so bad. I wonder if this is I wonder if this is going to happen. And sure enough, it was right. Everything terrible was pretty much on the nose. So, I mean, like, what actually happened isn't that horrible, but the way that it, they got there was bad. I mean, I'm fine with Daenerys ending up going and destroying everything, but, like, and yes, there was foreshadowing, but foreshadowing is not character development. It was done very ham-fisted. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could see, I could see it happening from season seven. Mm-hmm. Like there was, it wasn't just foreshadowing from season eight. You could, you could start to see it. And I feel like, uh, I mean, there was foreshadowing my, from the beginning, but sure. They didn't, they, this is, they didn't develop the character in that way. So she didn't seem like the kind of character that would do that. Like, kind of unjustified everyone else she slaughtered she generally had a reasonable justification for it absolutely yeah so i feel like the fairest the biggest comparison with all of this is heisenberg because you watch you know breaking bad is a show about you know a character that he starts out being sympathetic wait a minute wait a minute Spoiler ahead. So now we have nested okay. spoilers, okay? Recursive spoilers, yes. So with Breaking Bad, you you know, you start off with a guy, you know, Walter White, who is, 
he's sympathetic. Mm-hmm. He's a, you know, he's a teacher who ends up getting lung cancer and ends up making meth in order to, uh, in order to have money for his family when he eventually dies. And as the show goes on, he slowly gets worse and worse and does more egregious and terrible actions. Mm-hmm. But the difference with Heisenberg is you watch Breaking Bad, you rewatch Breaking Bad, and from the beginning, you see that he is not a good person. You see everything, everything is there. Hmm. You see in his, uh, like, for instance, with Breaking Bad, in the beginning, he was part of, before he was a teacher, he was had part, he was part of a company. Mm-hmm. He was part of a company called Gray Matter, right. which that company ends up becoming a large company and the former person that he had partnered with offered to pay for his treatments and offered to take care of him. But it was ultimately, you know, Walter's hubris and pride that makes him say, you know, F you in a very, you know, in a very dramatic way. Right. And, refu- you know, and refuses this, you know, refuses the treatment. From the beginning, you know, from the beginning, you kind of look at it and you try and rationalize it. You know, when you first when you first watch Breaking Bad, when you, if you feel sympathy for the character, you rationalize it. You kind of say, okay, there was something behind the scenes that went on, and you don't know exactly how it went down, and you're kind of like, okay. But the next time around, you see that, oh yeah, Walt's a monster. <laughs> he is a monster of a person, but. And this was one of those things that all of along all along you see that. Where with Game of Thrones, you do not see this with Daenerys. And the Anything- well, and the progression is a lot more gradual and natural, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I mean, with each each season, he crosses a line. He yeah. crosses a different line. Right. Yeah. You know, eventually, where the um, like I want to say in season three. Season three, it's going and killing Gale at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. But then season four, it's poisoning a small boy in order to, uh, you know, in order to manipulate Jesse Pinkman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I don't know if that makes me a horrible person, but that was one of my favorite moments <laughs> in the show. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh... That and the train robbery. The end. Uh, you remember the uh, where they steal the methylamine, mm-hmm. and the kid. The kid is there. You know where at the end they're like, "Oh yay, we got it, and we're not caught." And they it cuts to the kid. You know, a kid on the dirt bike in the middle of the desert with a spider in a jar. You know, with a tarantula in a jar. Mm-hmm. And you know they wave at the kid, and Todd. You know, Todd ends up killing the kid at the end of the episode. Uh, that was another one of my favorite moments, and I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> well, I, I think it's different. It, I, I think it's different that I don't mind atrocity if it's fake. If it's fictional, mm-hmm. it's fictional atrocity. Mm-hmm. Like the way you know, it's like I watch Schindler's List, and you know, I see scenes in Schindler's List, and it hits me a lot differently because it's real, right? But when it's you know, when it's something fictionalized, it's just like, oh my god, this is so horrific. Mm-hmm. Like in, you know, like in Game of Thrones, the scene, you know, I think of the horrific scenes in Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding, mm-hmm. and then another one that comes out. Uh, another one is uh, Stannis burning, having his child burned right. at the stake. Right. It's just so, it's just so horrific, but it's uh, it's a spectacle, which. 
That's one of the things that uh, Game of Thrones was really good at was spectacle. Mm-hmm. And even even up until the end of Game of Thrones, they were still good at spectacle. They just didn't have the story to back it up and the character development to back it up. So I have a theory as to why the White Walker thing ended the way that it did. And I think that originally they there was going to be more to it and that and then Game of Thrones got so popular that they wanted to have um, like things like a spin-offs and whatnot. And one mm-hmm. of those spin-offs is uh, called Blood Moon. And some of the way that it's been promoted is saying, find out how the White Walkers really came into existence. And I think that a lot of the stuff that was originally going to be in the main show talking about the White Walkers and the Night King and everything like that is going to end up being put in that show instead which sort of neutered the show proper. But it doesn't just neuter Game of Thrones. It also neuters the other show because they ended up making the Night King fight a one episode thing. They built up to it. And then one of the most egregious things is how few people die. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, yes, Jorah. Jorah Mormont dies, which, yes, he's a decently large character. And Leon, what was it? What's the kid named? Liana? Yeah, the kid that pretty much runs at the giant. Well, which... she was supposed to be like in one episode originally, but like the yeah. way that she played the character was so good that they brought her back from a, a whole bunch more. It was, yeah, it's playing into fanfic, you know, fan favorites yeah. and fan fiction, which it's like, I didn't really, she was cool, but I didn't care about her that much <laughs> where it's, where it's like, okay, there, there's the major people who ended up dying. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mormon, the Mormons. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. All of these people, there were so many people that should have died. There was, uh, you know, like Jamie Lannister and uh, Brienne of Tarth should have died. Sam had no business surviving that. Yes. Grey Worm should have died because he was, uh, he was part of the Unsullied and he was on the outside. Mm-hmm. And realistically, there were all of these shots within season eight, episode three, where one moment it shows a character surrounded by like nine of the undead. Mm-hmm. And then next moment it cuts away. There's like one or two. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was the editing was really, really bad. And they ended up faking out the audience so many times that mm-hmm. it didn't end up mattering. So sort of like Arya getting blown up 1400 times by dragons. Yeah. What did you think about her being the one to kill the Night King? I was fine with that. I felt like I tend to agree with a lot of the critics online. It wasn't much of an arc. You know, there was a whole buildup with John and the Night King that you see so many episodes, like, for instance, Hardhome, mm-hmm. which Hardhome is the episode where he goes beyond the wall and uh, the uh, the White Walkers end up coming in and spilling over the mountain. He ends up getting away by boat and the Night King ends up raising all of the dead. So you were hoping that it would have been John? I mean, that would be the obvious choice. It it is, but sometimes the obvious choice is the best choice. Mm. I, I am sort of fine with Arya. Um, it would have been nice if, like, she had some darker assassinations, like especially mm-hmm. given her background. Like, I was so hoping that, like, in the very last episode, that Arya would kill Daenerys using John's face. I was really hoping Ooh. that something like that would happen. 
okay. Or I was thinking that even if she had killed Cersei, her her whole thing was she killed the Night King. She went to go kill Cersei, and then you know, then the Hound said no. It's like okay, bye. Oh, okay. I'm going to become master and commander now. I'm going to sail to Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> Killing Cersei using Jamie's face would have been another good one. I wouldn't have even minded if the Hound had killed Cersei when she tries to walk past. <laughs> like I am done with you. The most entertaining death for me the whole season was Kyburn. So just throwing him down the stairs. Throwing throwing him into the wall. Yeah. Or as as the young'uns say, he got yeeted into the wall. I have not heard this terminology before. Got, you, you need to read it more. <laughs> Clearly. But that that was the more that was uh that was reminiscent of Yoda pretty much offing uh the Emperor's guards. Mm. Like like, you know, I have no patience for you. I am done with you. <laughs> Clickane Bull was okay. Yeah. Everyone knew it was going to happen forever. It knew it was going to happen. But I think, uh, you know, Sandor fight, the Hound fighting uh, Brienne of Tarth, I think was a better fight. Mm-hmm. It was a better fight because it felt like there was more at stake. Yeah. Where with this, where, where this, this is like, I hate you. I hate you too. Let us duel. <laughs> that was, you know, it, it was more, fa- it was for the fans as opposed to actually progressing something. But where at least, you know, the end of season four, the Hound fighting, uh, you know, fighting Brienne, it felt like there was something at stake. Like, who is Arya going to be going with? Mm-hmm. Who And it felt justified. And it was kind of, you know, it was kind of tragic in its own right. There were two protectors trying to do good, and they ended up, you know, having a conflict. Yeah. With the mountain... You realize at the end, with the mountain not even protecting Cersei and letting her walk past, that this had nothing to do with being a protector. Mm-hmm. This had to, this had entirely to do with you know let us let us Clegane's fight. Mm-hmm. What annoyed you the most with this season? Like what little tidbit? It it ended in such a. It's not an obvious way, but it's a. It's a not an interesting way. Bran being king, sure, that's fine. But there was no like interesting reveal about anyone's past that would have made that interesting. There was no like because there's like all sorts of fun things that they could have done with Bran's warging yeah. and, and time manipulation and like yeah. haha, this time was actually caused by that other time where I did this other thing or whatever. Well, people uh, people joke online that uh, that it was Bran who warged into Drogon when and uh, and destroyed the Iron Throne. Okay, I guess that makes more <laughs> sense than Drogon doing uh, it. But there's also a meme that made me laugh where Drogon's looking at uh, Daenerys's dead body, and it's like, oh, pointy thing, and then looks at the chair, another pointy thing, and it's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to think what annoyed me most. Jamie Lannister throwing his character arc away to run back to uh, to run back to Cersei. Not even for the point of killing Cersei, but for them to die in a cave-in. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping that he went back to back to kill her instead. Euron Greyjoy, that his his whole thing was just to fight Jamie. It's like that was that was unsatisfying. 
because mm-hmm. your your one was supposed to be the follow up to uh, Bolton mm-hmm. to Ramsey Bolton, and uh, you know Ramsey Bolton was a follow up to Joffrey, and it's like your on what was your on your on was a pirate guy who had a giant crossbow mm-hmm. who could ki- who killed a dragon. Oh yeah, that's with, the other know. thing. Like they yeah. so easily took out the dragon when they were flying over the ships and they're like, they're so afraid of it. Then like in the battle in the next episode or our dragon yep. has been super buffed. Now it can take out anything easily. Nobody can hit it. Rhaegal gets owned and then Drogon and uh, Drogon flies towards them because Daenerys goes in a fit of rage over a dead dragon. They're coming right. She's flying right towards them and they can't hit her. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was done terribly. But that that wasn't even the part that annoyed me the most about that episode. The part that annoyed me the most about that episode, which is season eight, episode four, was earlier in the episode. Cersei has Bronn go and try to kill Jamie and um, Tyrion, and then at the episode, the end of the episode, Tyrion walks up. To Cersei, and she's like, hold, you know, she, you know, puts her hand up to say, you know, hold back. Let's see what he has to say. Mm -hmm. He gives his dumb little speech. And at the end of the episode, they don't kill Tyrion, which Tyrion would be the obvious choice of the person, you know, the person to die at the end of that episode. They kill Mm Masande. They kill the translator. Right. Because, because, oh, no, Grey Worm was in love and all that, you know, all that jazz. Yeah, how do they even know sh- who she is? <laughs> or why she would even be relevant? I mean, maybe off screen, she's like, I am, you know, I am the Queen's translator. They killed everyone else on the boat, but they knew she would be good to capture. Tyrion would have been, I mean, he would have been the person to kill in that episode. And it would have been shocking and horrifying and all that. That you know, that's somebody that more people care about. But no, they kill uh, Masande. There was motive for Cersei to kill Tyrion, and then everyone's listening to him. Like uh, <laughs> later, even though he's a prisoner, like yeah, you have some good points there. I think we'll listen to you. Then there was the character change where Varys ends up becoming stupid. Tyrion ends up becoming stupid. Jon Snow basically says nothing but she's my queen, and I don't want it. Yeah, Jon Snow, people on the show are like, you should lead, you should lead. Like, he he goes and he gets in charge of some people that he says he doesn't want to be in charge of. Then he mm-hmm. fails, then but miraculously survives. Then they give him more power. That's his cycle. It happens over and over again. <laughs> He's like rich people who fall upward. <laughs> Jon Snow being related, Jon Snow being a Targaryen, realistically served nothing. It didn't do anything, aside from getting very Varys killed. And yeah, Varys, I, I love the way Varys does it too. Like, Varys isn't even careful. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you should be the leader, and then next thing, you know, next thing he's being burned. Like, come on. Although they allude in the episode, one thing they allude to is that, oh, they say at the beginning that, oh, the queen won't eat. And he's like, oh, we'll try again later. So he was trying to poison her. Mm-hmm. That that part I actually kind of liked. It's like okay, fair enough. Yeah. But oh, the po- the poisoning isn't working. Let me talk to John and reveal my intentions. <laughs> what I hate so much is that at the end of season seven, 
I was kind of done with Game of Thrones. I'm like, oh, I'll watch it because it's six episodes and it's another season. You know, it's like, oh, it's a short season. Fine. Mm -hmm. I'll just be the completionist. Uh, You know, I wasn't happy with season seven. And then season eight comes along and episodes one and two were pretty good. Mm -hmm. I was actually, you know, kind of excited to see, okay, where is this going to go? This is intriguing. Mm-hmm. There's going to be actual conflict. You know, there's actually going to be potential conflict between Daenerys and John, and what's going to happen with the Night King. And then season three it, or episode three, it just went completely downhill. <laughs> but note, episodes uh, one and two were not written by the show writers. They were written by other people. Hmm. But then the show writers, the show writers wrote episodes three through six. The dumpster fire episodes were written by them. So did you see the theory about like um, Littlefinger, like faking his own death? No, no, please link me to this because that was, oh, that was one of the things that made me done with season, with um, season seven. Was him just dying? Was him just dying. And it's like, he, he ultimately, he started, he was like Varys, where all of a sudden he became overt and stupid. What happened with Varys in season eight? He went directly to John, and it ended up backfiring. Mm-hmm. And what happened with Littlefinger? Littlefinger was pretty much overt about trying to, uh, you know, trying to drive a wedge between Arya and Sansa. And what happens? He ends up being put to death. And it's just for me, it was so out of character with, um, for Littlefinger. And Littlefinger was one of my favorite characters in that show. And it's like you killed him off. What? Why? Yeah, I don't have a good video for it but just go on youtube and search for uh little finger fake to his death and there's some good explanations there but basically the idea there's there's two different ones one is just that uh little finger is a gray man especially given the way that he uses similar poisons and some of the mantras that he has just similar and so the idea is that the person that was actually uh peter baelish died like 15 years before the show like during that um during that uh original battle with was was it ned or whatever or someone when he went to try and get uh uh Kat, was it catherine or is it his her sister Kat, catlin catlin and you actually died then and uh that's when one of the gray men took over his uh face and then that person kept on doing sort of little manipulations to gain power and was actually the one that was the, the, the same person as the gray man that was following Arya around, uh, especially since he was gone during the same periods of time, stuff like that. Um, and then uh, eventually he realized that because of what Bran said about like quoting his like uh, chaos is a ladder thing, he realized mm-hmm. that Bran knew too much. And so uh, he would need to get stop using that face eff- effectively and um, basically traded one of those sort of life chips to another gray person to take his face, to take that face and die uh, where he could go on and continue, continue doing his manipulations. And then the, the other theory uh, that's sort of related to that is that this gray man uh, is actually Rhaegar Targaryen. That's sort of manipulating their way back to the throne <laughs> interesting okay you could only say that if the uh if you don't count the eighth season at all mm-hmm. you just say the season eight is not canon 
Right. And these theories came about like during season seven. I'm okay with Littlefinger not being dead. I feel like that was one of the changes in like show is that prior within the show, it felt like trickery and, you know, trickery and deceit and all of those qualities got you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where towards towards the end of season seven with Littlefinger, you ended up getting nowhere with it. Mm-hmm. And then with season eight with Varys, anybody who was within that kind of realm of trading information and, you know, deception and secretary or, you know, secrets and that kind of stuff, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. All of those people ended up dying and it felt so out of character for the kind of world that Westeros was I, I think what it is is it's such a contrast to um, look at Ned Stark that it was always the straight and narrow people like you know Ned Stark is the one that ended up dying and it was uh, and it was Littlefinger who you know people like Littlefinger and Varys who persevered and also like in the final council for voting for the king like some of those people really did not belong there it's like I'm just a major character therefore I get a vote. Like, right. Brienne of Tarth, like, why do you get to decide? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, are we going to ask all the knights of the realm? And I love the whole thing. It's like, uh, Sansa's like, I want to be separate. Okay. Yeah. And Yara, Yara's like, wait, this is an option? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, especially, like, with, uh, what, Dorne being there that also had more of a separate for, I think, a longer period of time than the North. Yep. And I looked at him and I'm like, oh, it's that it's not Bashir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Bashir's replacement. Yeah. Yeah. It felt it, it was so ham fisted. And it's like they they had the option. You, you have to think like a show like that. You can get the writers. You can get whatever writers you want for that kind of show to basically come up with something that's satisfying, not necessarily completely unpredictable, but, you know, satisfying and consistent and you know actually fits in with the kind of universe that they're in i would have been happier with uh, finding out that game of thrones is part of westworld <laughs> and you know george rr R. martin said that he's okay with this too really he, nice. yeah he's like i'm i'm fine with westeros world being one of the worlds nice and uh, one of my favorite things that i saw in there is that uh, it turns out that uh, braun is actually a guest Oh, <laughs> that would make so much sense. Because, <laughs> you know, Braun cares about the money, you know, the money and the women, and that's it. Uh-huh. It would actually also explain Robert Baratheon, too. Because <laughs> what is Robert? Robert Baratheon only wants to do whoring. Mm-hmm. Rather than him dying by a boar, it's, uh, you know, his time is up. Yeah. He missed a payment. <laughs> He, yeah, he missed a payment and got evicted from uh, Westeros world. Yep. I mean, hey, it would explain Joffrey, too. <laughs> oh, speaking of Westworld, have you seen the preview for Westworld Season 3? No, I haven't. Aaron Paul is part of Westworld now. Oh, goody. I But what got me is I saw the teaser and I didn't know it was Westworld. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, Aaron Paul is in a new sci-fi show. Oh, cool. Okay. I'm glad he's getting work. I'm glad he's getting work. Good for him. And then at the end of the uh, the end of the preview, you see Dolores. I'm like, no. <laughs> no way. Uh, breaking Bad World. 
Oh, did you did you ever see him in like The Price is Right? Yes. That was hilarious. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, for my nephew, when uh, whenever my nephew texts me, the sound for my text message tone is uh, is Aaron going twelve hundred bucks. That's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, going back to the whole Westworld thing, um, have what did you think of season two? I mean, I liked season one better, but it was fine. Okay, okay, we might we might have to do the spoiler thing. Spoiler thing again. We are we done talking about the other spoilers for? I, I think so. End of spoiler. And then are we also done talking about the other spoilers? Yes, we're done talking about Game of Thrones. End of spoiler. Now it's the Westworld spoilers. <coughs> spoiler ahead. All right, go ahead. So season two, I agree with you. It's similar to Game of Thrones in that Game of Thrones later on had what there were good parts to Game of Thrones. The overall narrative I wasn't happy with, but there were good parts and parts that were satisfying. And with Westworld season two, I feel that was similar. Like there were parts that were awesome, but then the overall narrative seemed muddled in a way that season one was satisfying. Season one was immensely satisfying. You know, for instance, finding out that uh, Bernard is a host was like a, you know, that was like a holy crap moment. And, you know, finding out that William is the, you know, the man in black. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, with season one. Season one is uh, is one of those things where it is just as good rewatching season one. Mm-hmm. It is just as satisfying knowing the secrets and watching it happen as it is not knowing the secrets and finding out the secrets. Right. I feel like uh, Westworld season one was very, very good. But the very first episode was a masterpiece of an episode because it laid it it laid down the start of it very, very nicely. When you rewatch it and you know what's happening, you know, you see the man in black, you know, um, the older, you know, older William. Right. You see him with Dolores. You realize, you know, that it's a tragedy and that's pretty much a fall. Mm -hmm. It's a complete fall of what they were. Season two, you don't have as many of those moments. Although the one really heavy moment in season two of Westworld that stands out is William thinking that his daughter is a host Mm -hmm. and he ends up, you know, and he ends up shooting her and it's just, it's like, it's really heavy. It's a really, really heavy scene. And then he, and then it hits him that, oh my God, oh my God, she's not, what have I done? Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, and then also uh, watching Teddy kill himself and watching, you know, just, Dolores, Dolores even trying to process. But then on the other hand, with season two, there were dumb moments. The fact that you can revive somebody by having their memory. The memory of the person was enough to revive them. Well, I think that the idea there is that they're a very slightly different person, though. And that yeah. like and that sort of leads you to wonder, like, okay, these this this how close is Bernard? to arnold like like, because he's based off of a memory anyway Mm -hmm. how how close is he really or does he get to be considered kind of his own thing because of that you're looking at bernard and then (laughs) you're looking at bernard and arnold kind of like wayun six and wayun seven maybe 
And 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 like like how many of the characters are actually reinterpretations of like actual or sort of like echoes of other characters after they had died? And like how many echoes have there been, etc. Yeah, what I hate about bringing them back so easily is that it removes um, tension. Mm. The fact that if nobody can truly be killed, kind you know, kind of like uh, certain other shows where nobody is ever really gone. But certain other shows where they bring people back to life that through through magic and plot contrivances. Mm-hmm. I don't like that in shows. I don't like people being brought back to life mm-hmm. because it cheapens the effect of somebody dying. Mm-hmm. I feel like death is supposed to have some kind of permanence. And I mean, Game of Thrones is mostly pretty good with that. Yeah. And Star Trek, on the other hand, is awful with that. Uh... Star Trek will bring anybody back to life who ends up uh, who ends up being a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. I will not name names because we don't want to go into more necessary spoilers. A- exactly. But then, um, so going back to Westworld, another thing I found laughable is like humans are only what eleven thousand or thirteen thousand lines of code. Mm-hmm. It's like no, that's not how that works. Especially if you want their full adult version of them. I and I get what they were going for. I got that they were trying to say that humanity is not that special, Mm -hmm. which I I can see the argument for that. (laughs) But it's like, make make an honest argument about why they're not special and don't come up with this thing where everybody can be, everybody can be revived. So I'm hoping with Westworld season three that they go in a really different direction and from the look of the preview, I find that promising. I, I haven't seen the preview, so maybe I should watch that. But I'm hoping that, like, season two, you're trying to, they're, they're saying, hey, humanity isn't that special. But season three maybe is more about nuances and the differences that happen when you take those shortcuts and things like that, maybe. Maybe. I, I feel like their showrunners are more competent. <laughs> well, supposedly they had five seasons planned out before the first one even aired. Oh, well, that's that's really promising. Yeah, because I'm hoping if they go the whole Breaking Bad route and know how to end and have an actual completed arc ahead of time, that's good. Whether or not we'll be at uh, Westworld season 10. <laughs> Hopefully they'll only go to what their vision was and then end it. 